good morning. We're off to a good start. Wasn't musical worship just really amazing this morning? Wow, thank you guys. Uh, I, I was just really blessed, especially that, that second song. Uh, I have, I've, that was the first time I've heard it with the, the church uh, singing in response, amen. That's good. That's really, that's, that's, that's so good. Uh, and God is good. So, hey, uh, we, are, we are in a series, Nuclear Family, Source of Power or Destruction. We kicked it off last week just really looking at, at the uh, interaction of the family and, and specifically, you know, kind of a husband and wife and what, what that looks like. I uh, had a lot of great conversation um, this week just about what was uh, said last week and I'm sure what's going to be said this week. And, and I just want to let you guys know that uh, E3 is, is not about my thoughts on things. It just isn't. What, what this place is about, why we gather together is the opportunity to come together and, and, and bring our voices together to lift up you know, and, and express and respond to God's goodness and also to open up God's Word to find out what He thinks. What, what is His vision for, for our lives? And, you know, sometimes that's really difficult to hear. And, and sometimes, you know, the gap between where we are in our, in our brokenness and God's perfect vision for our lives, that, that, there's, you know, there, that there's real pain there. And last week, you know, that was true. And this week, will that is also going to be true. You know, uh, but really, you know, I, I joke about, you know, a series, a series called Things I Wish Were Not in the Bible, you know, and, and really that's just kind of the, the acknowledgement that, you know what, there's some tough things in Scripture that I just would rather not have there because I just want to do my own thing. But I know, at least from my life, doing my own thing leads to destruction and pain and hurt. And where we learn to submit ourselves to God's perfect vision for our lives, that, that that's when we really start to experience life. So uh, there's been a lot of great conversation between the staff and I uh, about today and a lot of prayer. And one thing that, that I believe is, is someday I will stand in front of my Creator. And I will not be asked if uh, I quoted the, the, the latest, you know, psychological study or, or something like that. I, I, I will be held accountable for what is spoken and what is presented from God's Word here. Now, to me, that's much more than just reading Bible verses. That is to, to do the best study that, that I can to be the best scholar that I can to be able to transcend time and culture. And let's, let's face it, the Bible is, is an ancient truth, but there's a lot of cultural things in there as well. So looking in and as, as, a, as I'm not going to call myself a biblical scholar, but, uh, but, but as someone uh, who stayed at Holiday Inn once or twice, you know, that, that, you know, I'm definitely, it is my intention to do the very best that I can. And, and that's where we are today. And, and, you know, I believe that God gives us um, uh, scenes of, of his truth, that, that God is speaking all the time. And, and just so many times we're just, you know, we just do not listen. 
I had the, the blessing. Uh, uh, I've been uh, invited to speak at Ironman Florida uh, the past three years. And yesterday I got to speak at Iron or uh, Friday, I got to speak at Ironman Florida with the athletes and things like that. And uh, yesterday, I was down cheering the athletes on. You know, some people from our church uh, were participating, lots of people from Tallahassee and, and all over the world. And it, it is a really, it's a cool thing for me as a pastor to do. And, and I was sitting there uh, at the swim, and I took a picture uh, of uh, some of the athletes coming out of the water. You know, and, and if you've never been to an Ironman, uh, uh, 3,000 people diving into the ocean and swimming, you know, into a blank horizon is one of the, the most magnificent kind of things that you'll ever see. And so they're, they're going out and, and they're doing this. And, and I was standing here cheering on people in our church and our community and everything. And, and, and they were coming out. And I think that this, you know, this picture is, is so cool of, of, of people just really on the first leg of their 140.6 mile journey where they're going to swim, they're going to bike 112 miles, and then they're going to finish it all off with a marathon 26.2 miles. And as you can see in this picture that, you know, you have the men in the green caps and you can see these women in front of them. They all start at the same time. Uh, uh, they do. They do. Uh, in, the, in the pink caps and, and, and going on. And, and, and you know, I was, I was just really struck like, wow, this is, kind of a, this is kind of a neat picture when I was looking at my pictures last night and everything. And it, and it really reminded me, like I've been uh, doing triathlons for about seven years now, and the sport has really changed. Just as recently as uh, uh, 2010, there used to be a uh, six-to-one men-to-female ratio, just in participants. So for every one female, there were six dudes, right? Well, just last year, 2011, that ratio actually uh, uh, split even more than in half. It was 2.6 men to every uh, one female. And I think the, the narrowing gap of men to women in Ironman races uh, is not because of the decline of male participation. In fact, it, it's up, uh, and, and it'll continue to go up. And I believe in the next few years that we'll actually have gender uh, parity, you know, equal men and women participating in the Ironman uh, uh, competition or races or things like that. And it's interesting to me, and this, this connects into kind of the church, so stick with me as I kind of build this. The healthy parity is not achieved by cutting out participants. Iron Man didn't say, okay, there's only 400 women and, and 1,400 males, so we're going we're gonna to tell 1,000 males that they can't participate. That's not how they went about it. Iron Man took the longer. That would have been quick. You know, they could have they changed it instantly. But what they did was they took a longer, healthier track, and they said, you know what, we want to encourage and make room for women to participate in this sport. And the interesting thing is you, you look at, at this picture of the green caps and, and pink caps. I was actually not taking a picture of the green caps or pink caps, but I was taking a picture of the red cap. 
And this is where uh, I thought I was uh, doing one thing and God showed me that I was actually doing another. Now, the red cap is not for male or female, but it is for physically challenged athletes. And as I was sitting there watching and cheering people coming in and, you know, them huffing and puffing and everything, just off to the side, this, this gentleman was crawling out of the water with just one leg. And in Ironman, you can't be touched. You can't be helped. Everybody does the 146 point miles to be an Ironman. And he's pulling himself out and dragging himself. And I was kind of just really looking at this picture late last night. And I was like, you know what? That's really a picture of the American church. The American church isn't really about green caps or pink caps, but it's about people on a journey trying to do this endurance race of life, to, to finish the race and earn the prize to hear, done, hear my well, or well done, my good and faithful servant. But so many of us are doing it Handicapped. So many local churches as the body of Christ, and this being the picture of body of Christ, we're doing it in a physically challenged state. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, and this is kind of the overarching scripture that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, Pastor Eric sang a song about us being children of God. That song is from this verse. Paul paints a picture of the, of the church when he wrote, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. And then he says this beautiful thing about the body of Christ, about us being salvation, us being, you know, coming together as the body of Christ to run this race. He says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Can you go back to that picture of, of, the, of the athlete in the red cap? We are all one in Christ Jesus, but I, this is what I believe. I believe an amputation has occurred. I believe the American church is racing in not a healthy State, And we've all heard about the decline of the American church, right? How attendance in the American church is, is going down. But I don't believe that there's a decline in the American church. But I, I believe that there's been an amputation. And this amputation has been from men, of men. Let me just give you some statistics. On any given Sunday, if you go to any given church across the United States and you're just your average church, 61% of, of people there are going to be female, of adults are going to be female. Only 39% of male. That's just coming together and just singing together and learning together. Each Sunday, and I know this is true here, that 25% of married women bring their children, and they worship alone. Here's probably the biggest one. You know, I don't really uh, think about uh, 
the impact and health of a church as Sunday attendance, but, but participation, participation in growth groups and serving and things like that. The average participation in the American church during the midweek is 70 80% female. And I just want to point out something. We talk about reality here, okay? And this is not to be hurtful or anything, but we just had a team. This is an example. We just had a team go to Guatemala. And uh, that team had one male on it and seven female. So when I'm talking about those guys, I'm talking about us guys too. Not guys in the, in the male-female sense, but as a collective Californian y'all sense. And here's another one that, that only 10% of U.S. churches are able to establish or maintain a vibrant men's ministry. When we have authentic manhood that, that's here and, every, and, and, and it's a struggle, a struggle to convince men to come together and learn together and be open with each other. Uh, in contrast, on Wednesdays, we have coffee with moms, and I, and, and I think that, that it was, I mean, I'm sure more went into this, but my perception as kind of a guy was that a couple of women thought of the idea, and everybody's like, whoosh, and it's, I mean, seriously, that ministry is rocking, you know? I mean, like, women, you know, coffee with moms, that, that there's like just wanting to come together and encourage one another. And the reality is in America that men do not come together and sharpen one another with iron. It's just not the reality. And again, we're just talking about reality here. But here's the hard thing. Participation, not just attending on Sunday, but participating in the body of Christ is, is uh, good for men. You know, uh, churchgoers, and statistically, a church-going male, attending male, is uh, more likely to be satisfied with life, that uh, it is a greater predictor of marriage stability, and also that teens with uh, uh, fathers who participate in the body of Christ are more likely to say that they enjoy spending time with their father and that they admire them. Also, Men participating in church is a, is a good thing for the church. That statistically, churches with a, uh, uh, a parity in church attendance of male and female are, are churches that are much higher, have much higher impact in their communities. So really what what I'm doing here uh, today is I want to paint a picture of a biblical man. You know, now you, you know, you pink caps out there, you females, you know, you know, in, in this, in, in this race. Don't tune out, especially those who are not married or, or something, because you know what, uh, but both married and, and unmarried uh, women that, hey, you know what, some of this stuff is stuff that you can encourage your husband to be more like, or those of you who are, who are not married and, and want someday to have a partner in ministry or just a partner in life, these are characteristics that, that, you know what, they need to be present in your man if you really want to experience kind of this, this biblical idea of family. Now, I want to give you one caveat. 
Any declarative statements made today about men is not done in exclusion of women. If I, for example, say, men, you are to be generous, that statement does not mean women, you are to be stingy. (laughs) One does not have to do with other. One does not exclude the other. You know, if I say, you know, so don't take, hey, men, you know, you're called to be blank. It doesn't mean that, hey, women, you are not called to be blank. Also, you know what? There's just, there's, there's kind of norms. There's kind of, there's just kind of some generalities that, you know what? We agree with, but it's just politically incorrect to say. I can beat my wife in arm wrestling. I'm stronger physically than my wife. My wife will kick my tail in jeopardy. Like, I'm still, like, thinking, like, wait, I got to answer with a question, and she's, like, blurting it out. She's blurting it out. You know, there's just, you know, there, and, and that's not to say women are always smarter than men. I'm sure there's many women. I'm sure there's many, there's women here who could beat me in arm wrestling. So if, I'm say, if I make a general statement, that is not an all-encompassing, this is how it always is, Okay. So can we all agree when we're talking about that, 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 you know, one statement does not exclude someone else, and if I make a, you know, chauvinistic statement or, or, or something that you may, you know, it's, I'm not saying that you can't. I'm just saying, men, you've been specifically called to. Got it? Okay. We asked a group of men to come together and just talk a little bit about this biblical manhood, and uh, so watch this video. To me, the, the manly man is uh, uh, Captain Miller from Saving Private Ryan. Um, you have a citizen soldier uh, who's a teacher, but he's a warrior now, and he's got a job to do, and it's uh, not a great job, but he's going to give it his all, and he's going to get the job done no matter what it takes. To me, the ideal man going back to Castaway guy is decisiveness. Fidelity is a real important issue in terms of a husband, whether it be a quiet fidelity or the sacrifice that he makes, or you know, to blatant that that, uh, that that fidelity comes through that uh, projects to people that you know, this guy's never going to be unfaithful to his wife. Uh, but that also goes to you know, to her too that she knows that wouldn't even think that he would stray. So I think that's, a, that's an important quality. Is someone who just really can show their love to uh, their children and who, uh, who recognizes the idea that you know, a lot of, of people, and especially their kids, don't want anything else but time with them. And, uh, and, and that, that simplicity, I think, is often something that, that makes people a, a good father or spouse. So guys, what's... Uh What's the standard, the, the biblical standard that you use, that you, that you try to use, that you try to measure yourself up with? For me, I think, I think patience is what, what sticks out whenever I read scripture and, and, and applies to so many areas, especially um, for us in, in the modern world. You know, you start dating somebody over a text message and you, you, you break up with them over a Facebook message and there's a sense to which you never slow down and let God 
um, just help you make decisions. And I think that's true, you know, not just for young men, but for married men and fathers as well. And just having not only patience with, you know, those who we're entrusted with, but also having patience that God will provide uh, better answers than the ones that that we, we, we face. Like in a situation, like not just thinking, what do I think? Trying to put myself in, okay, how are they feeling about this? How are two people like breaking up? Well, what happened on her side? How does he feel about this? What, does, what do I think God feels about this? I've always thought that the fruits of the spirit was an important standard. So much so that I, you know, I know there are nine of them. I memorized them, and it starts out really easily, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are ones that uh, are standards, and uh, in, in all of them are, are those that I like to, to go back to, to as a as a focus, as a focal point of being, a, um, you know, an ideal man, father, husband. If you open up your Bibles to John chapter 13 and verse 12, starting verse 12, we're going to just uh, real quickly just begin with uh, a verse that's traditionally not uh, used for what a biblical man is, but I, I, I really think that it, it is probably the, the primary and, and first thing that a, a Christian man should be. In John chapter 13, verse 12, Jesus, after he washed their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I am doing or was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are, not, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. And then verse 15, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I done for you, or do as I have done to you. And right here, right out at, at the beginning, you know, that when I think about what a, a biblical man looks like, this is a man who is a fully devoted follower of Christ. Not, not, a, not a man who, who is lording over someone and, and, and does not use their position or title or arm wrestling strength to, to get someone to comply, but quite the opposite. To, to be a follower of Christ, really uh, uh, a fully submitted follower. I would go so far to say that, men, you are not the leaders of your household. You're not called to be the leaders of your household. You're called to be the first follower of your household, to, to relentlessly pursue following Christ and, and submit to Christ. And where most of the problems in, in, in marriage happens is when there is a man who is not trying to follow Christ and, and he is not submitted to the Word of God. And, he, and he's falling back on his base instincts and his selfish nature begins to tear his family apart. You know, this idea of submission historically uh, has been handled very poorly in the church. 
especially with Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 21 through 33. That, that a lot of people, a lot of uh, teaching starts with verse 22. For wives, this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife, and as Christ is the head of the church. And they like to start with that and, and, and really trying to leave this, this idea that, you know what, no matter how wretched, how abusive your husband is, submit to them. Submit to them. And you need to submit. And you need to follow the leader. And I think that that's how it's been communicated for many years. I don't think that that's really the intention. Remember, the first thing is that, that we are, as men, called to be followers of Christ, to wash one another's feet. Remember, we talked about there's no male, there's no female, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile. We are the body of Christ. And as the family, the, the, the nuclear family or the, or the biological family, being a microcosm of that body of Christ, and I think what's so critical in this Ephesians is verse 21. And I want you to listen to this, and I want you to listen to it very clearly. And if you're ever someplace and they start with verse 22, quietly in humility, come up to the pastor afterwards and, remind, and read him verse 21. Now listen to this verse. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the preceding verse. Submit to one another. You know what submit means in the original Greek? Submit to one another. It means to submit to each other. It doesn't mean that one is over the other. One doesn't get to abuse the other. It means submit to one another in the spiritual sense as your reverence for your Lord and, the, and Savior, the one who showed you to wash one another's feet in humility and not to try to dominate them because you may be able to force somebody. That that is not the picture of a biblical marriage. In fact, if you go on further in this, for wives, this means submit to your husband. Remember the context. Submit to one another. First, we're going to start with wives. You know, there's a linear kind of, you know, just bringing out the argument. And in this whole package, in its context, there's going to be things said to the male and female. He just happens to start with wives. This means to submit to your husbands as the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as the church is the head, or the, as Christ is the head of the church. We get that. We understand that Christ is the head of the church. That, that we're not talking about a hierarchical system here. We're just talking about reality. And that, that you know what? We need to be submitted to Christ and relentlessly pursue this idea of followership together. He continues on, he says, He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church, all of us, submit to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything you do. Okay, now we go to the next thing. Guys, for husband, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. Okay, how did Christ love the church? Well, the first and most obvious one is he gave his life for the church. That he served 
his church. He protected his church. If you read uh, John 17, an entirety that Jesus outlines everything that he did for the church. This is the picture of, of humility, of partnership, of not lording over someone, but making room and encouraging your partner in life to come alongside you and to live in the full expression of their giftedness. Continues on, and he says, I, he gave his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself, to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. No one hates their own bodies but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church, we are members of the body. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined with the wife. And Okay, the whole context, remember we started with submit to one another, then there's a section about women, there's a section about men, but this is the overarching idea. And the two are united into one. When you become man and wife, we've, we've all heard it. Let, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And yet, there's you know, some wives are going to be better at finances. Some, some men are going to be better at this and stuff like this. That, that we put all this cultural stuff on our marriages and miss the real big kind of idea that God is trying to bring to us and saying, here we have a true partnership. And that, you know what, males? You know what, men? You need to be fully submitted to me. To, in order to be worthy of, of being followed, you need to be following and just lead the parade. But you are not the reason for that parade. The last one I want to talk about is honor. 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 7, he writes, In the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. Bring honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you. May. I know that that's not always the case. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Again, the kingdom of God is not about who has the biggest stick or the biggest muscles. The kingdom of God is about submission to a holy and loving God and being the personification of that God. And I was really kind of thinking about this whole idea of like uh, how a biblical family should work. And, and especially in the context of, of nuclear family, I use the atom as, as uh, an idea. And right here at the, at the center of a biblical family, if your family is a biblical family, the center here is Christ. And from that center, 
we have everyone in the family revolving around it. You have the husband revolving. And, and kind of I like the image of this that, you know what? Sometimes, in some instances, the man is going to make the shot or call because he is the authority. He understands, he knows in, 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 in that role. But, but other times, up here, the, the wife or the mother, that, that she is going to have expertise in her gifting and, and things like this. And then, you know, you have your, your child over here, and this is, you know, they're probably never right, but, but you know, they have their, their interaction. But, you know, we've all been influenced and taught by our children, right? I mean, and here I think that we have a closer picture, and it's really interesting to me that, that this whole term nuclear family, you know, developed in the, in the 20th century, but you have this idea of, of nuclear family that, that, you know what, you have this uh, biblical family as a dynamic organism that's revolving around the atom. And... I was like playing with my, you know, words in there. That, that word uh, Adam in Greek is atmos, which means indivisible. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 47, uh, we're in the Good News uh, Bible. It's, it's translated this way. The first Adam, who was named Adam, was made on earth, came from the earth. But the second Adam, who is Christ, came from heaven. John 17, verse 23, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that my world will know you and that you sent, that I sent you and that you love them as much as you love me. And the idea, going back to the graphic, you know, we all know what happens when you split the atom, right? That you have split the atom and, and you know what, that can make for a lot of, you know, in some instances, I guess, power. But really, when the atom was split, that that introduced this kind of idea of going nuclear. And when you split and take out the atom or the second atom, who is Christ, that, that you have taken away the, the structure of the biblical family. And I just want to finish with this, that the biblical family is a dynamic organism that revolves around Christ. The question is not who's what. It really isn't. I mean, you'll have those, que- those, those conversations in the context of your own family and your own marriage, like what role do I play in this, in this situation? But it's how do we function? And I started out talking about how the church, the body of Christ, has got, has been amputated. That men have been amputated out of the body of Christ. And this is what I believe, that we, even though the church can run the race, the church is severely challenged by the lack of participation or by the cutting out of the male. And I think that the enemy has won a great victory in the church where we cannot stand up and say, men, 
You need to spiritually be the spiritual submitters in your family. Men, you need to grab your family in Christ's love and be the model of, of what it looks like for not only a man, but for a person to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. And I really came to this kind of closing point, really just knowing the amputated state of the church. I'm not advocating for, you know, a male-dominated church because I don't think that that is the vision for God's body either. What I, what I want to see is God to heal his church, to see the men who are in the church start acting like men, fully submitted men, men who are worth being examples of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ and to use our gifts and our talents to, to charge where we have been designed to charge, to receive instruction in humility where we need to receive humility. But ultimately, all of us coming together and saying, you know what? The family and the body of Christ is a dynamic organism. It is not static. And that we all have been given different gifts and talents. And when one segment is largely missing from the life of the church, that we are like, we, it is like that physically challenged athlete. He, he, he finished the race. But he overcame many challenges in order to do so. It does not need to be that way. And as an Iron Man, there's going to be gender parity eventually. I also hope for the church that men will stand up and say, you know what, I am a valued and an integral part of God's plan and I need to take my responsibility seriously. And I think that we as men and, and women, I think you need to do this too. It's speaking in, in, in our lives. Say, you know what? God has gifted you and, talent and made you talented, and you are part of God's ultimate plan. And this is probably not a good statement to say, but I'm just going to say it. It may not be in the next service. I'm just going to finish with this. Guys, I believe God is calling us to man up. Just, if you don't get anything else, man up. Man up. The stakes are too high to put all that responsibility on our beautiful women in the church. But I've just, I can tell, I, I'll tell you flat out, the American church is not in decline. It has been amputated. And it has been amputated because not somebody else amputated us. We cut off our own leg. 
It's time to wake up and man up. You guys pray with me. Dear God, thank you for this time. God, I know that this is a, probably a, a great conversation starter, and, and, I, and I welcome those conversations. God, I hope that, uh, and I, in fear and trembling, hope that I communicated what you wanted me to communicate today. God, a, 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 a talk of unity, of participation, not of exclusion. God, I just pray that we as the body of Christ can function as you envisioned for us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.